Hi, Laura Stasi here. We normally record and produce Dating While Gray at WAMU, the NPR station in Washington, D.C., but we won't be working there for the next few weeks because we're trying to keep our coworkers safe. The WAMU reporters and hosts who bring you the news are working around the clock, and we're supporting them however we can. We've got four more episodes of this season of Dating While Gray, and we're aiming to get them to you over the next few weeks. This show means a lot to us, and we hope it brings you the community and companionship you need at a time when a lot of us are feeling pretty alone. From now on, you can expect episodes of Dating While Gray every two weeks, so not next Thursday, but the Thursday after that. In the meantime, you can always find us on Facebook at the Dating While Gray Facebook page. You can also email me at datingwellgray at wamu.org, and you can leave a voicemail, 202-895-GRAY. That's G-R-A-Y. Thanks again for all your support, and please stay well. Now, on to the episode. I'm Laura Stasi, and this is Dating While Gray, the grown-up's guide to love, sex, and relationships. On this episode, we're talking about that thing we may have grown up believing we're not supposed to talk about, money. I signed up for a webinar called Dating After 50 with Bella, who calls herself an expert and a love guru. According to Bella, the key to a successful first date, at least for straight couples, is that the man should always pay for it because it makes the woman feel special. But the woman should always offer to split the bill because the man is evaluating the woman's potential as a supportive partner. Now, this advice seems sexist and old-fashioned to me, but hey, it's Bella who's the expert and love guru. So whenever I went on a date and the bill came, I'd start fumbling around for my wallet. My date would notice and say, I've got this. And I'd say, are you sure? Happy to split. And he'd say, I'm sure. And he'd pay. But then along came, let's call him Gary, a man I met through a mutual connection. Gary asked me out to dinner, chose a restaurant, and made the reservation. And when the bill came, I started my wallet fumbling routine. Gary noticed, but he did not say, I've got this. He said, we can do one of two things. I can pay this time and you can pay next time, or we can split the bill. Okay, reasonable, but not what I was expecting. We split the bill and then we split the bill the next three or four more times after that. I really tried to see Gary as a potential romantic partner because I really liked the mutual connection who set us up. But because we always split the bill, it felt more like Gary just didn't want to eat alone. The love guru was right, I didn't feel special. If Gary had offered to pay, I might have overlooked the fact that we really had nothing in common. Gary and I disagreed about politics. We disagreed about religion. And we disagreed about how and when to spend money. For example, Gary saves up his vacation time so he can cash it in at retirement. And when Gary and his wife separated, Gary set up a cot in his office and lived rent-free for six months. Me... I fork over money for vacations and places to live. Maybe, oops, spend more than I've managed to save because carpe diem, baby. Nothing wrong with Gary's choices and nothing wrong with my choices. They just are not compatible. You know, until I met Gary, I figured the most difficult aspect of recoupling would be actually finding someone I want to recouple with. 
but now I understand that before I get too involved with someone, I need to make sure we can agree on the decisions we make around money, you know, that we're financially compatible. But figuring out that compatibility can be awkward, and it starts on the very first date. For me, paying for the first date means that person is willing to invest in a possible future with me. But I recognize that's really unfair. Dating is expensive, especially when it's likely that we're all going out with a lot of different people before we figure out if any one person has relationship potential. When you look at it that way, I totally understand why Gary wanted to split the bill. I just wish we had talked about it before I ordered. The question of who pays on the first date feels like it should be small, but there's all these expectations that you haven't shared yet, or at least Gary and I didn't. And for some people, all those unspoken expectations might be so daunting that they're extremely cautious about dating. For a man I'm calling Ken, that feeling stems from his experiences back when he was married. When it really came to a head was when we were both out of work at the same time. Uh, it's hard enough to be sharing a home both out of work. So I would let her stay home and look for work. And I would go to the library and try to look for work. Ken got married for the first time when he was 40. They had two kids and his wife became a stay-at-home mom. And then when Ken was in his mid-50s, he lost his job in a company downsizing. And then he lost his home, couldn't afford the payments. And then his marriage fell apart. His wife moved back to her home state to find a job, and she took the kids. And then there were legal bills and divorce lawyer fees and child support payments, even though Ken still didn't have a job. It's taken Ken a long time to recover. I asked him how this experience has affected his dating life. It has um, caused me to become very selective mm -hmm. in how I spend my time and money. I've learned to spend more of my time socializing uh, through meetup groups. Right. And what has been helpful about that is that each person that I mean, I, I suppose it's possible that my men might still buy a woman a drink at the bar there or something. Mm -hmm. By and large, uh, each person has to pay their own way. Right. I am coming into a second pension I'd gotten. So I'm looking forward to actually having money to actually really start dating again. Do you ever want to say, hey, I'd like to go out to dinner? How do you feel about going Dutch? Or is that... Well, yes, I'm, I'm really, I'm not uh, sure how to do that. I'm not sure. I, I have wanted uh, to try to find a, uh, a financially independent woman right. um, where I think that kind of conversation would go over better and um, where they're not expecting me to provide something which I can't used to be able to, but no longer can, no longer want to feel right. I've given at the office, you know, be together if we both value each other's time as opposed to there being some monetary component going on. Right. So charming and the whining and the dining is just takes a different form. Uh, well, I'm, I'm trying to trying to navigate the waters here and figure that out. Uh -huh. Does it? Can it? Should it? How does one do that? Mm -hmm. and so forth. Do you have a fear of um, actually getting in another committed relationship where you would be uh, co-responsible, I guess? I mean, with couples, you've got two people coming together financially, but that means if something happens with one of them, the other one, you know, sort of takes responsibility. 
Well, right. I mean, certainly, uh, I mean, in marriage, you know, merging of checking accounts and so forth and assets. But uh, I don't think that's appropriate other than in marriage. I want to make sure that someone wants to be with me, mm-hmm. not with my money. I have to try to figure things out better and try to understand uh, people's true intentions. Mm. Well, I feel like I've been burned in my marriage. Uh. Just as women can get hurt in a relationship, so can men, emotionally and financially. Right. You know, I'm trying to look uh, beyond, you know, beyond the surface. I don't want another train wreck in my life, so I have to find a <laughs> make sure that I avoid that. Keep the keep the uh, keep the train on the rails. So. so how how would you envision that conversation going? One of the things I may try, which I haven't really done much of, is online dating because it's possible to specify mm. I, I think on maybe on some dating websites uh, that uh, you can certainly let others know what your current retirement income that you're no longer making 200,000 a year and mm. uh, you can possibly look to see what uh, their income is, or certainly what their sometimes what their income expectation is, mm-hmm. and if there's not a checkbox for a financially independent woman, it's harder. But to search, but by looking through the profiles, right. you can try to get a sense of that or not. Yeah, uh, it's not like you you can just talk to somebody like you're conducting a job interview and ask them, right. you know, give them a list of questions <laughs> and have them answer them. So what's your 401k like? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So I'm trying, I'm definitely trying to figure out who is, uh, financially independent is not looking to be rescued. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's quite possible through the dating websites to, by specifying that one's looking to meet someone locally to, uh, it seems to me from what I've seen, that's necessary or sometimes people think, oh, this is an opportunity to have someone pay for my relocation to the national capital region. Or, right. So, so have you thought about what your first, I mean, I'm assuming even if you meet somebody online, your first date might not be dinner. No, or, probably would yeah. be coffee to begin with. Uh-huh. Maybe a hike after that. I'm trying to really low key keep it non uh, pressured, uh, inexpensive, and uh-huh. uh, try to because uh, and try to figure out uh, whether there's any chemistry and mutual interest, and whether it whether it's a match, whether they seem to be financially independent and are not mm-hmm. looking to uh, as uh, you know for a relationship as a source of uh, income or you know. So it's been about seven years, and mm-hmm. so uh, I think there's something called the seven-year itch. So maybe it's about time. <laughs> time to start scratching. Right, exactly. <laughs> so seven years after Ken's divorce, and I'm still hearing a lot of caution in his voice. I can't blame him. You heard him say he felt like he got burned in his marriage. I know it sounds like a stereotype that men fear women want them only for their money. But I've heard from lots of gray daters, men and women. And what I'm hearing is that we're all making a lot of judgments, fair or unfair, when it comes to money. Hey, Laura. I was calling about when to talk about money. Hi, Laura. As you know, getting a divorce is a gigantic financial burden. So after my divorce, I was starting from scratch. 
and rebuilding? Yes, Laura, I've got things around money and my worthiness and what I have to offer. I'm financially responsible for my young daughter, so I need to be very um, thoughtful and prudent about my finances. And so I have started running background checks, complete background checks on people that I'm interested in. I don't know what it is about people in our age group who seem to want to pretend they have a lot more money than they have. Specifically, I've seen things um, with different bankruptcy, with different um, credit card disputes. So the $30 a month I pay to instantcheckmate.com seems to be a wise, wise investment. Financially, I don't have what I need, should have, not need. I, I believe I have all that I need. And how that affects how I think someone would perceive me or how interested someone would be in me. Well, I can understand how um, divorced men may have somewhat justifiable spotty financial histories. I use that as a litmus test. I don't know. Does it matter? Does it matter to men? You know, it just seems like it would take a miracle. And I want someone who will understand that my wealth is passing to my daughter and won't be shared in community with a partner. Hope this finds you well. Thanks, Laura. I'm enjoying the podcast. Good luck. Bye. So how do we manage all of our worries about money so we can keep putting ourselves out there? I'll look for answers after the break. Hi, it's Diane. The next meeting of my book club is on Wednesday, May 31st at 1 p.m. Eastern. I'll host a discussion of Mad Honey by Jody Pico and Jennifer Finney Boylan, followed by a conversation with the authors. Find out more and register at dianereem.org slash book club. I want to take a minute to explain why it's so important to support the work of your local NPR station right now. Dating While Gray comes from WAMU, the NPR station in Washington, D.C., the Dating While Gray team is at home to keep our colleagues safe. The WAMU hosts and reporters are working 24-7 to bring news to our community. You can check out our work at wamu.org and dcs.com. And you can keep our work going with your donation at wamu.org. Thank you so much. I think gray daters may be especially anxious about money because we may have taken financial hits like job loss and divorce and we have fewer working years to try to recover. The idea of facing our financial reality may make us squirm, but Colette Kalenko says it doesn't have to. Colette's a CPA and a certified financial planner, and she says we can find creative and loving ways to talk about money with a future partner. I came together with my partner before I was age 50. However, when he proposed to me, I said, honey, Let's do our taxes and see what it would look like. And and I turned I finally turned to him and said, Honey, I love you too much to marry you. How romantic. <laughs> yeah. And we made a conscientious effort mm -hmm. to look at our finances and take that money that we'd be paying to the IRS to do something together. Aww. So there's a way that you can take the cut and dry and the, the nitty gritty of finances and taxes and bills and and you can turn it around and you can make it a very uh, joint experience mm -hmm. you can build a life and it doesn't have to be adversarial or 
anything to be afraid of or ashamed of. I believe that you come together and you look at this empathetically also, right. especially the first, as you first start opening up to one another. Mm-hmm. One of the things I we haven't really talked about was the, is the income disparity with women. So sometimes it doesn't make sense, that even though the woman might want to come into the relationship and say, let's split it things 50-50, right. it may really put a, um, a burden on her to come in with the expenses at 50-50. Mm-hmm. What should people 50 and older make sure they have going forward before they even attempt to couple up? Take a breath and see where you are. If you're going to have a dating budget, you may want to think about where you can reduce your costs in other ways. Somebody might have champagne tastes and you may have a beer pocketbook. And it's okay to say, this is not how I choose to spend my budget. Or um, can we do, you know, this is great this time. Can we do something else next time so that you can choose something that is more in line with your budget? I truly believe that you need to protect yourself both from an emotional level but also from a financial level. I mean, that's part of who you are. And if you can't afford to do something, I think you owe it to yourself and to the other person that you're doing this with to say this is just out of my realm whether it's from a purely financial aspect or if it's you know if if you don't want to spend that kind of money on your experience or your dating or your meal that's it's okay you know I spoke with one couple and I asked them at one point what is easier to talk about sex or finances and the man immediately said sex there's a lot of divorces that happen because of finances, mm-hmm. right? So either um, they're fighting about money anyway, and it brings out, or there are other underlying issues and it comes out with fighting about money, or there are people who under certain circumstances they will get divorced because of the need to, it's easier to manage money separately. Should couples share their credit scores, their salaries, their debt, their obligations? What what level of sharing do you recommend? The answer is yes. Um, (laughs) When is the question? And again, it's got to be individual. I wouldn't recommend saying, oh, my credit score is 800 on your first date. But, but, you know, things happen. I have um, a friend who's just been widowed and I'll put that in parentheses they were living together and his partner had a lot of medical bills Mm -hmm. and so he took it upon himself to help provide for the for his partner Mm -hmm. well it affected him financially this couple was living together and at that point in time I think that you really should start thinking about some kind of written documentation whether it's, you know, the first thing is a cohabitation agreement that says kind of like a prenup. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so a, this is, excuse me, this is any couple who have decided to take the step and they want to live together. together. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't matter whether you are uh, a gay couple or a straight couple. Mm-hmm. I think that as you come together, because at that point in time you're creating a partnership, right, of right. some sort. You're right. not just roommates, you are 
looking at being a partner. Mm-hmm. A prenup and a cohabitation agreement is kind of like saying, we plan on being together for a long term, mm-hmm. but if something should happen, I want you to be treated with the same love and honor and respect in the future as what we have today. Mm. So let's set that out today. That's and I think beautiful. it can be, I think it can really be something that's very loving and, and meaningful. And I think you look at things as you're first coming together as, a, as partners, and you look at it differently at year zero than you might at year five or 10 or 15. That's mm-hmm. why you, you can, something like a cohabitation agreement or, or a prenup agreement or a postnup agreement, mm-hmm. they can change, right? As long as you're alive and you're together, you can always update those those documents. Right. I don't think it's ever too early or too late to rearrange the um, your agreement on how you're going to pay thing pay for things, mm-hmm. and not to be afraid to discuss this because if yeah. you truly care about someone, you're going to want to know, maybe want to help. Or you, it's a way to see how the other person reacts, and it's a just another level of your personality, your commitment, mm-hmm. and it's not something to be afraid of. So don't yeah. be afraid of that finance talk. It can be done in a, in a very loving way. You know, I was married for almost 30 years. It's totally possible that I could have another relationship that lasts as long as my marriage did. And that means some real financial considerations concerning my kids, perhaps his, and whether it makes more sense to have a cohabitation agreement or a marriage certificate or simply be committed sweethearts living apart without any legalities whatsoever. In fact, after I talked with Colette, I started thinking that the older you get, the more complicated your financial history and picture might be. And so the more awkward and stressful the money conversation gets. But that was before I met Bob and Marge. There will not be a new episode of Dating While Gray next Thursday, but I will be sharing more on the Dating While Gray Facebook page. I usually post interesting stories on love, sex, and relationships. This week, I'll also post photos of me recording at home, and I'll answer some of your questions about the show and share some of your stories. Join the Dating While Gray community on Facebook. Just search for Dating While Gray and hit like. Just when I think money is such a difficult topic, I find Bob and Marge. I'm Bob Howard. I'm 84. I'm Marjorie Lane, and I'm 86, and they call somebody like me a cougar, right? I was a clinical social worker in private practice, and I managed to be self-sufficient and save some. So I had put aside for my old age what my uh, financial planner said would be if I didn't spend too much every year, would be enough. I've been invested in real estate and also invested in other things in the stock market. So not always true, but everything has uh, worked out extremely well. 
Well, we met in, uh, casually in church many years ago, maybe 40 years ago. And we also both did uh, bike rides. And then she left for New England. And uh, when she came back was about a year after I was widowed. And so I saw Marge at church again and <clears throat> didn't think too much about it. I knew she was visiting with her children. And the next week, she was there again. I said, Marge, when are you going back to uh, New Hampshire? She said, I'm not going back. I'm here to stay. I thought, oh, about that. <laughs> so that led to a lunch. And I was delighted. It was unexpected. But I said, oh, this is very interesting. He's an attractive man, no stranger. We t uh, talked about the possibility of living together fairly early on in our relationship. Uh, Marge was not ready for that, first of all. And secondly, uh, she felt uh, that house was too much of my late wife, which it was. And I told her the, the house was not that important to me. And so I decided to sell it. And I bought a different condo condominium fairly close to where she was. And we continued to date. And we then we took a cruise together in the Baltic. That was early, and that was a courtship event. So I was comfortable in letting him pay for that. I said, all you have to do is uh, come along. And actually, I would pay for all the trips. I don't have a problem with that. But Marge has a problem with that, so she <laughs> insists on it. When, when we got back, we decided to make that regularly. So we had dinner every night, some nights at Marge's place and the others at my place. We did that for uh, a couple of years. During that time, Marge wanted to buy a condo of her own. She was renting one. She saw one through me that she, was, she really loved it. But her financial advisor said, you can't possibly buy a condo at this point. I said, you know, Marge, I can buy it. You can rent it for me. I bought it. Marge moved. I think you made up a lease. And I told her, the only thing that I expect is if you're living there under that terms, you're going to pay the rent, and that's it. If, mm -hmm. if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. I was happy with his proposal for my renting from him because there were no strings attached. I figured Marge was the right person for me, and I was the right person for her. Uh, and that if this is the way she wanted to live, it was okay with me. And our children and our siblings were all happy with that, this arrangement. So about a year ago, I knew that I was going to have a mitral valve repaired. Everything went fine. So afterwards, Marge had brought some champagne to, to uh, celebrate. And I thought, well... I wonder if I ask her to marry me, what is she going to say? Uh, am I going to ruin a perfectly good relationship that we have? But I said, oh, what the hell? <laughs> so it, was, it was sort of, it was lovely. And I, I said yes, and I think it, at first I wasn't quite sure whether that's, that was the question. 
I asked for a prenup because my lawyer said that you had to be some changes in Virginia law. I thought it was a good idea. The only issue was it took the lawyers a long time to put the papers together and then writing the checks for the legal fees. <laughs> but I'm glad, and I think Bob is, that, that, that we did it. Early on, she said, you know, Bob, she said, I'm a very independent person. And I said, you know, that's not a problem to me. I expect somebody to be independent. I wasn't as um, needing the formal ceremony, and I was happy with just a, a commitment relationship. But the more I thought about it and the more he felt strongly about it, I thought to myself, well, why not? If you're going to be committed, why don't you be committed? Do the whole thing, not just half of it. We were planning to continue to live the way we were with our separate places. But in the middle of the winter, we said, why are we doing this, you know? So as a result, I bought another one that we now live in. It's worked out comfortably. He's always shopped at Harris Teeter, and he likes bargains. He's a man comfortable financially who likes to get, <laughs> get the sales. And so he goes on Thursdays when they have the senior discount, and they have all kinds of good deals. And so she's insist on paying her share but really what she does, she pays me the same amount every month, and it's a little bit more than what you're pay, paying me for rent in the other place. So I, I, told, I told her it's, it's more than she needs to pay, but that she insists, so I let her insist. <laughs> I married a man of substance, and I'm very fortunate. It's not the only reason, but it was part of... Part of his appeal, all of the things that I would have gone for when I was 50, five years after my divorce, I didn't know who I was looking for, but I had, you know, ideas about a poet in hiking boots, and, and Bob is neither. <laughs> but, but if he had, had asked me, I would have rethought that re those requirements, right? <laughs> The reason I love Bob and Marge's story is because they were both willing to compromise and they both got what they wanted. Marge wants to keep their finances separate. She actually pays her share of the living expenses to Bob every month. And even though Bob insists she doesn't have to, he goes with it because that's what Marge wants. They've merged their lives without blending their finances and they're happy. In April, they'll celebrate their one year wedding anniversary. So here's what I've learned. I probably have some outdated notions when it comes to money and dating, and I should rethink them. And while I'm at it, I should probably take a closer look at my own financial picture before I think about having any money talk with somebody else. Dating While Gray is produced by Ponzi Rutch, Patrick Fort, Ruth Tam, Julia Karen, and me, Laura Stasi. Our theme music is by Daniel Peterschmidt, and Mike Kidd mixes a show. WAMU's general manager is J.J. Yor, and Andy McDaniel oversees everything we make here. 
We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to datingwhilegray at wamu.org or follow us on Facebook. Search for Dating While Gray and like our Facebook page. Or you can see what I'm up to on Twitter at Dating While Gray. And of course, leave a voicemail, 202-895-GRAY, G-R-A-Y. Dating While Gray would not be possible without the support of WAMU's members. Support us right now with your donation at wamu.org. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more stories of Dating While Gray.